0: You done now. Oh boy, oh, boy. boy you done boy, now.
1: This this is Back to the, the
0: Future, future of The yeah. 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 Podcast. Presented, presented by the Brad Joy Show. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're gonna see some serious shit.
2: Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Please come. Hello? Hello, anybody home? Hey, this like is
0: why you've got to come back with me.
2: Where? Back to the future.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Back to the Future the podcast the only podcast on the entire internet looking back in time at the greatest film trilogy of all time Back to the Future I'm your friend in time Brad Gilmore happy season 2 everybody I'm going to introduce you one more time to my new co-host for this season first off David G Mitchell as I affectionately refer to him as Davy boy Mitch what's going on David
2: I only let you uh, call me that, Brad. So uh, think yourself uh, lucky. You know? <laughs> I consider myself very
1: lucky, and coming all the way from Pennsylvania, my man Norman Binford. How you doing, Norm?
0: Very well, very well. Glad to be talking to you guys tonight.
1: It's exciting, guys. It's exciting now. It's going to be our first time really diving in and talking about these films a little bit more than what we did in our kind of pre pre-season 2 co-host special um which came out September the 7th. Um actually, I think we can let fans peek behind the curtain a little bit that right now we're recording this on September the 1st, so we're we're already in the past looking at the future. Um but it's kind of interesting September the 1st was A day that that David G. Mitchell pointed out, Davy Boy Mitch pointed out by saying that um, this was 135 years ago today, at the time we're recording this, that Doc wrote Marty the letter that we see in Back to the Future 2. Is that correct?
2: That is correct, sir. And you can thank uh, the useless app on Facebook that reminds you of this day uh, so many years ago that you have to thank thank for that. So it comes in handy sometimes, you know.
1: Well, definitely I mean well, I mean it's useless, but it's useful It's definitely useful. I enjoy no, it now no, yes, uh and today on the
2: show i su-
0: I'm sorry, Brad, I saw you posted that, David, and I shared that on my wall, and I got a lot of positive feedback and shares from people that I never would have expected it from. That has been shared a lot because uh it landed on my wall because of you, David, so well played, my friend
1: Glad look at that. Service. Look at that. Now, what 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 we're going to be discussing today is kind of the behind the scenes if you will of Back to the Future Part 2. Now, I know we touched on it a little bit of uh, at the, on the last episode of the show. Um, but Back to the Future 2, Part 2. I mean, a lot of people say this might be their favorite, um but I think critically Uh, As far as the critics are concerned, this is the one that I think has the lowest current ranking on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, I'm going to fact check myself as I'm talking out loud, but I believe that's true. Um, Why do you think, but let's just start off. Why do you think this movie critically isn't as acclaimed as its predecessor? I'm going to go with you, Norm. What do you think, man?
0: Well, it's it's interesting you you bring that up because I was doing a, a little reading up and brushing up today and... This film is the least favorite of the Bobs as well, because they felt it was really dark and kind of left the audience in a place that they weren't happy with, and they were kind of disappointed that the studio didn't make a better effort of marketing this as part two of three. I mean, obviously they knew part three was coming, but it just, it's, it's easily the darkest of the three movies. And I think that doesn't resonate with some people. Some people want that happy ending every time, but you're not getting it in this movie.
1: No, definitely. You're definitely not. Um, what do you think, David? Why do you think this? And r- real quick before I throw it to you, David um, part two was actually given a 61% on rotten tomatoes and back to the future part three, 73%. Um, so a very low score, barely a, a fresh rating. From Rotten Tomatoes for Back to the Future Part Two, but what do you think, David? Why do you think that it's so critically panned?
2: Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, well, first of all, I'm not really too up to speed on the uh, Rotten Tomato rankings. I'm guessing the higher the percentage, the uh, greater the vote. But um, I mean, critics are critics, you know. That's what they're there to do—criticize, you know. But from whoever I talk to, and you know, whether it be my friends or family or coworkers and you talk to them about part two, they always look at it with fondness and, you know, oh, that's a really cool movie. I remember seeing that one as a kid and all the divisions of the future. I mean, as I said before, the um, the future part only takes part at the start of the movie and the majority of it takes p- takes place back in uh, 1955, but, you know, that's what everyone takes away from it is the vision of the future and all the cool stuff that was uh, that takes part in the future, you know?
1: No, I mean and, – and just, just to uh, reaffirm some people who might not be up to date on, on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, a 60% and above is considered fresh, and then uh, you know 60, uh, 59 and below is considered rotten, and that's how kind of it works. So almost a rotten score for Back to the Future Part 2, but some of you said, Norm, it is very dark. It's the darkest of the three, definitely, and um, I think that kind of follows a trend in trilogies. When you look at trilogies um overall, you look at the second of any movie and there, it's typically the darkest when you think of Star Wars the original trilogy um Empire Strikes Back definitely the darkest of the three you think Indiana Jones Temple of Doom definitely by leaps and bounds uh the Uh-oh, darkest of easily. the of the original trilogy yeah of the original trilogy um so I mean it, i wonder I wonder if there's something within a, a storyteller or a filmmaker that feels that after such a because it look at all of them. You know, Star Wars A New Hope, kind of an uplift, you know, upbeat, happy-go-lucky, sort of. But it's more of a a fun film. Uh, The first Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, more fun. It had dark elements, yeah, but, I mean, more fun. The first Back to the Future, tons of fun. Is there something that's in in a storyteller that's like this innate sense that I want to go darker for the second round? I mean, is that what you think, Norm?
0: I I think it is because uh – the the further you drive your protagonist into the ground, the the more they are redeemed when they come out on top at the end. I mean, it's... You know, nobody wants to see a second movie where there's a happy ending and you come coasting into that third movie. You You want that trilogy. You want that anticipation. You want kind of that cliffhanger. You want people talking about what's going to happen. And... If there's a happily ever after in film two of three, well, then what do the heck do you need film three for?
1: No, I mean, yeah, that's a definitely – that's a great point. And when you think about it though, in terms of, of Bob and Bob writing Back to the Future, the first movie, the first movie was supposed to be a standalone. There was no sequel intended. Um, probably which po- – you know, public popular belief is that they've always intended it to be a trilogy, but – the original movie was written as a standalone one-off film, and that they threw a joke in, hinting at a sequel at the end, which wasn't even intended to be a sequel. So, if this first movie was intended to be a standalone, I mean, then they kind of pigeonhole themselves, if you will, uh, when when the sequel was green lit into having to go into the future, which I know we can talk about here in a second. But it's funny that we live in a day and age. I remember last year. August last year, I went to the movie theater, and I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, right? And about three days before the film was released, um, Marvel put out a statement that uh, Disney already greenlit a Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Before it even came out in theaters, it could have bombed. Uh, but the, the sequel was greenlit before anybody saw the film. So what blows my mind is just is just how far we've changed in, in uh in the movie business essentially because back to the future part two was not green lit until after the first movie ended its theatrical run and took this huge box office it was the number one movie in the country everyone was talking about Michael J Fox and back to the future what do y what do y'all feel about that about uh it not being green lit well actually let's back it up a second I'm getting ahead of myself let's talk about the ending of back to the future part one um which at the end, we see Doc pull back into the Marty's driveway, knocking over trash cans. He's dressed in some kind of futuristic-looking getup with like this this plastic-looking tie and a yellow raincoat and some shades that you can't see out of. And he's telling Marty that we need to go back to the future, right, or or, or whatever he said. You know, we need you know we need to go to the future. Um, what, what did y'all think, David? I'm going to ask you first. What did you think when you first saw that in the first film? I mean, did you take it as a joke or did you say, oh, wow, they're going all systems go. We're getting a sequel right out of the gate. What did you think?
2: Well, first of all, uh, for any um, old school WWF wrestling fans, Doc Shades were pretty reminiscent of the old Bret Hitman Heart Shades, which I digged as well. But um, Definitely. Yeah, when, I, when I first seen it, um, you know – Obviously, I was a lot younger, but I think the majority of people as well, you don't take it as a joke. I mean, you think that the uh, producers and the filmmakers had a sequel in in mind because they must because, you know, they're talking about something's got to be done about your kids, Marty. You know, we got to save the day and it's on to our next adventure, you know, and the audience has to wait, you know, for the next part to come to fruition, you know.
1: Well, definitely. I mean, what did you think, Norm? Did you kind of think the same thing, or or did you have a different take on it?
0: Well, the the first time I saw Back to the Future 1, I saw it on VHS. So it already had that to-be-continued tag that was not in the original theatrical release. So I assumed and hoped that a second movie was coming. But the thing that's interesting about that is that happened, obviously, a very long time ago. And that, that was organic. It wasn't like oh we're gonna sign you to a, a three-picture deal as Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox. They signed a contract with him. It's like, hey, we're gonna make this movie and we think it's gonna be good. And then surprise, it made a lot of money and they all had to go back to the table and renegotiate with the primary cast. Whereas now, you know, somebody wants to be in, for example, a a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. <laughs> They they signed him to nine picture deals. It's like, well, you're you're going to be Captain America until you're walking with a cane. But that <laughs> was not that was not how it happened then. It was just very organic and they were genuinely surprised by how well the movie did and how much money it made. So, I guess dragging myself back to the original question and forcing myself to answer, I was not surprised because I saw it on VHS. I saw the the to be continued tag, and I was immediately interested and ready to go.
1: No, yeah, I, I mean, this, what, go ahead, go go ahead, David.
2: Sorry, sorry, for an assistant to compare to the uh, today's um, cinematic movies. I mean, it's not really fair to compare because <laughs> these these uh, pe- these actors are signed up for three picture deals or whatever. Because pretty much it's a guarantee that all these um, Marvel movies and comic book movies are going to be successful up to some extent. You know, I mean. It's Unless very, you're the Fantastic Four. Well, that's I think that's one of the very first or the very minuscule ones that have uh, been a, a bit of a flop. But um, Fantastic Four isn't Marvel either, you know? So,
1: Well, I mean, it's not Marvel Studios, but it's a Marvel entity. But I understand what you're saying. I'm sorry. We're getting on a tangent, but continue. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, it's, it's a little bit different. The, the landscape is a little bit different uh, today than it was back then. I mean... There's a certain guaranteed success with a lot of uh, movies today that you didn't have back in the day.
1: No, I mean, yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, but at the same time, if you know, okay, I'm, I mean, it's being produced by Steven Spielberg, one of the most uh, prolific directors and 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 film visionaries of art of all time. Even back in '85, especially back in '85. Um, and then you know that you have a quality actor in Michael J. Fox, who's a, the biggest star on television, and, and you have a movie about time travel, which is an action-adventure, and it's also a family film. You would think that the studio would be like, man, this is going to make a ton. This is going to make a killing. Let's make seven more of these. But what's funny about what you said, Norm, was that they signed him to, like, nine-picture deals, 12-picture deals. I know uh, – uh, oh, man, his name escapes me, but the guy who plays the collector – uh, He was uh in Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's also in the Bond films. I can't think of his name all of a sudden. The the, the Latin well, Benicio actor. Del Benicio, Benicio Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro was was signed to like 12 films or something like that. Uh, And, and here's the thing. They signed up to 12 films, but that doesn't mean they have to use them for every film. But they do. They say, hey, in case we want you, we're going to put you in this movie, this movie, this movie, up to that 12 films or whatever. And I think that's interesting because obviously with a sequel not intended… Uh, for this movie, it was supposed to be a standalone. The, the actors definitely were not signed to multiple picture deals. So when a sequel was greenlit, and Bob and Bob said, "Okay, now we got to go back and make this second film," they had to go back to the cast and make sure everybody wanted to do the wanted to do another movie. Well, these... essentially, go ahead.
2: Sorry, these guys weren't. Um... Movie stars, so to speak. I mean, Christopher Lloyd was coming from Taxi and Michael J. Fox was coming from Family Ties. I mean, pretty successful TV shows, but they weren't movie stars per se, which I think would be uh, part of the reason why they wouldn't be signed to uh, multiple picture deals, if that makes sense.
1: No, yeah, I I see what you're saying. I definitely see what you're saying. But um – but to that point, when Bob and Bob went back to Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, who now are big stars because of the first film, they said, "Hey, you know we want to make a second one," and uh, they stuck with it. They jumped right on, but that was not the case with everybody. There were a couple of people who decided to not return, both for different reasons let 's talk about the one uh, one of them first, and that was Claudia Wells, who played Jennifer Parker uh she exited the franchise and I talked to Claudia uh on season 1 of Back to the Future the podcast and she said because her mother had had some health issues and she ended up leaving the franchise now can I say something off top now we're three gentlemen here I was going to say three red-blooded Americans but Davey boy uh Mitch is holding it down for the <laughs> UK over there um but we're we're three we're three men okay we we uh we 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 know what what what's attractive, if you will, and uh, I would like to go out on the record here. I don't know how you two gentlemen feel, but I'd like to say that Claudia Wells was about seventy-five times hotter than Elizabeth Shue. Am I the only one in in this? Are y'all with me? Did y'all think that Claudia Wells was a hotter Jennifer Parker than Elizabeth Shue? What do you think, Norm?
0: Well, I, I'm I'm going to have to go on the other side of the fence, Brad, because oh whoa, unexpected. Oh. Adventures in Babysitting on VHS is the first movie in my life that I ever watched, finished, rewound, and watched again just because I was so absolutely enchanted by Elizabeth Shue. So, you know, we're just going to have to chalk that up to
2: uh, personal differences.
1: Well, hey, Davey, tell me you're with me. Are you with me on this one?
2: To an extent. I mean – Yes, Claudia Wells uh, at the time and even today is very attractive, but especially then she was absolutely gorgeous and you could she was perfectly cast as Marty's girlfriend, you know. But um I gotta side with Norm a little bit here because the year before, nineteen eighty four, karate kid, Elizabeth Shue, was in that and she was like played the the cute girl next door, you know, and um very attractive. So when when she was replaced uh by Elizabeth Shue, I mean I wasn't too bothered about it you know i mean it was a pretty minuscule minor part that you know just dressed her up in the costume and it's like okay it's not really that big of a deal but you know they both have their pluses you know
1: well you know what's funny is i for the first at least couple years of my back to the future fandom back when i was in adolescence i did not even recognize that it was a different actress and and then that's not that's not a dig at at Claudia Wells or Elizabeth Shue. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you know anyone could play the role, but I'm saying for some reason I didn't even notice that the girlfriend changed. Am I the only one here?
0: Now I I yeah, recognize I mean, it only because because of like I said my my infatuation with Elizabeth Shue because of Adventures in Babysitting. But I think to be completely fair. They both did a very, very credible job. They both played the role well, and they both looked absolutely smashing in that denim vest.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, right you are in that one, right you are. But, um, you know, definitely Jennifer Parker Parker was a minor role. I don't think anyone will disagree with that. I mean, not not a lot of screen time, not a lot of lines, but a a role nonetheless that was important in the movie. But one of the more important roles was definitely – Crispin Glover's portrayal of George McFly. Um, Some say he might have stole the show from an acting standpoint um, in in Back to the Future Part 1 and really the movie essentially even though it starred Michael J. Fox was pretty much even centered around Crispin Glover's character and Michael J. Fox almost playing the father figure to his father pushing him in the right direction. So um, when they went back to Crispin Glover um according to bob gale uh crispin was asking for more money and uh they felt that you know that's not exactly what he was entitled to um he wasn't entitled to that much money it was almost ridiculous from what bob gale i remember bob gale saying so um they went back to him with a different offer and uh you know he turned it down and bob gale said okay well then we won't use you in the movie um, how big of a blow do you think that was to the film at the time of, of during pre-production when they find out Crispin Glover, George McFly, isn't returning to the franchise?
0: Uh, well, uh, when Leah Thompson was interviewed on Nerdist uh, maybe like a month, month and a half ago, she said they they were all pretty shaken up by that because for as much as the crew did not get along with Crispin – most of the cast, with you know, with the, the notable exception of Tom Wilson, I believe did. And it, I think it made people feel a little uneasy that if they could replace Crispin, then pretty much they could replace anybody else. And it's hard to tell, you know, that there's three sides to every story. There's, there's my side, there's your side, and then somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And I don't know if we will ever know definitively why Crispin decided not to be part of the trilogy moving forward. It was unfortunate, but to their credit, I think the producers did a pretty good job of minimizing his role and still keeping the character involved.
1: Well, no, I I understand. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, definitely, and I, I could see how it might make people feel uneasy about their position. I think Marty and Doc were sitting atop the, the mountain knowing that they were okay, or Michael J. and Christ, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Um, but for Crispin Glover to not return, I mean, wow. I mean, what what an incredible thing. I mean, because like I said, he was the he was almost the centerpiece of the first film. Um, and, and one thinks of where do you go from there. And I know that a an early draft of, of the script took place in the 1960s mostly to accommodate Crispin Glover's absence. Um, But, you know, because he couldn't come to terms with the producers. But then, you know, that was quickly um, abandoned, if you will. But actually, the first draft of the script was 150 pages long. Um, And it was titled Paradox. And it almost kind of just encapsulated the whole story of part two and part three, but in one film um, called Paradox. Uh, But then they they decided to make the, the split happen. Um, For part two and part three, which I definitely thought was thinks is a great idea because you know obviously a trilogy is 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 how a story is told normally act one, act two, act three, so that makes sense thematically. Um, But um, in the sense of the the storytelling, do you think that it was a, a a right move, David, to space it out that far and to tell more of a slow methodical story in part two and three as Compared to the first film, which was you kind of went home happy as soon as you saw it, if you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you would have seriously had to have cut a, a hell of a lot of stuff, or you would have had to squeeze a lot of stuff into one particular film to get all the stories across that they wanted to get across. And although the audiences at the time, some of them may not have been happy about having to wait and being kept on tender hooks for a couple of months for the part three. When it did come out, you know you felt a bit of closure and that it was worth it because you know it was the complete way to tell a story and the proper way to tell a story as opposed to trying to squeeze everything into one big script and having to cut a lot of stuff out to um just to appease uh, certain people or certain studios, you know
1: No, I definitely agree with that, but I mean, to me, well, here's the thing I do like about two and three is that they have so many overlapping parts. You know what I mean? Like the stories definitely weave. Like I would say that two and three weave together better than one and two do. And I think that's just because they had the opportunity to write the two movies together, which obviously they're going to overlap a little better. Um, But there are hints dropped in part two that are going to to pay off in part three, which I mean to me is a risky move as a filmmaker and even as as a screenwriter is that you're writing. You're writing jokes and bits and, and you're having these setups that aren't going to pay off until the next film, which in the first movie, in part one, they would set something, up, set something up and then by the end of the film, it was already paid off. I mean they had so much exposition within that first 30 minutes of the first film, but you were satisfied when you left, like I said, because everything paid off. Do you think, Norm, that that was a detriment to part two and why it is so critically panned?
0: No, I don't. I I believe for the most part it it was it was well executed and and seamless. Uh, the the only scene that to this day I think is a little ham fisted is when Marty first comes to the casino and they're talking about uh, Biff's ancestor Buford Mad Dog Tannen. I just think they they've slipped that into the script just a little too indelicately. I I don't have a suggestion for how to make it better. But that just kind of screamed to me like red light, oh hey, this this is what's coming up in the sequel that That was the only one that I thought felt a little disingenuine.
1: No, yeah, i I agree with that. There were some things in there that, like I said, you know, I could have done without. obviously, they weren't needed. Um, but at the same time, you have to when you when you're thinking, okay, I have' essentially like four hours of story that I'm telling on screen. You know, maybe you do just throw things in there as I don't know as a time filler, but you're thinking that it might be a great payoff later. But it kind of turns out to be like, ah, did we really need to see Buford Mad Dog Tannen on on a TV screen at the Biff Hotel at the exact moment Marty McFly was there? I mean, it seemed a little too coincidental um, for my taste, and it it wasn't like tight storytelling. Now, I know there are probably some, um, some Back to the Future fans out there that um which by the way someone on our official twitter at BTTF pod um actually gave us a name for our fans uh for the listeners of back to the future the podcast for the for the fans of back to the future we should call them pinheads what do y'all oh, think of guess. this I think I'm it's great that sounds so. good all right so I know we might be offending some pinheads out there, or I might be, by being a little overly critical. But here's the thing. I love the movies so much that I do want to almost play devil's advocate a little bit, and we can kind of go back and forth of what we thought was good and bad. Uh, Dave, did you think that that them kind of wedging in uh, Buford Mad Dog Tannen in part two was just a little unnecessary, or did you think it kind of played out good for the story?
2: You know, to be honest, it never really bothered me that much, and I didn't really think, oh, this is a little too, um, you know, too cute for them to put in. I mean, there was a lot of things in Part 2 and Part 3 that that paid off. Like, I mean, first thing that's coming to mind is um, Statler Toyota. You see them in 1955, you see them in 85, you see them in 1885, stuff like that. And, you know, the, the running gag of Biff getting hit with the manure in uh, – Part one, part two, and three, stuff like that. I mean, when you have clever stuff like that that happens in each uh, time era, thats it's really genius uh, screenwriting, and I, I really enjoyed some of those aspects.
1: Okay, well, see, now, now, now we're getting all kinds of views. This is why we like co-hosts, ladies and gentlemen. This is why people have co-hosts, so we can th- throw back ideas back and forth. Um, now, did y'all like the idea? And I guess we can talk about this at our at our season finale, um, actually, you know what? We're going to save that for the season finale. But let me ask you. Let me talk to you all about this now. The movies two and three were shot back to back, and I know we're covering a lot of three here in the open for season two. But um, we'll get to that more as as we dive into this movie uh, this season. But um, did you think that them filming and working on part three also may be attributed to some of this? Like they were working on part three as they were editing part two. So you got all these timelines going back and forth in your head. you got all the story going on and what you're trying to do and what you're intending to do, but it might not be what's coming out. Do you think them working so rapidly on part three after wrapping part two, do you think that that kind of affected the quality of the film of part two? I'm going to ask you, Norm, what do you think?
0: Well... The, the producers have pretty much uh, gone on record as such that they did not get to spend as much time in the editing room with Part 2 as they would have liked to. I, I will uh, say paragraph 2 to that statement is I, I don't give a lot of credence to people that say that Back to the Future Part 2 is not a good film. I think it's, it's an absolutely fantastic film. And when you're comparing it to Part 1 and Part 3 which might be a little bit better depending on who you talk to. Uh, You know, you, you see some of the rough edges, but I think when you look at the technology they were working with and how they were trying to bridge a gap from a movie that they had finished 18 to 24 months prior and a movie that they knew they were going to be shooting as soon as they, they uh, closed set on part two, it, 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 is very very hard to find a lot of fault with that film.
1: Oh yeah, don't definitely don't get me wrong. I mean, I love part 2. Now, it might be my 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 third favorite of the trilogy just cuz I love part 3 so much and part 1 is to me untouchable when you talk about the three films and I know y'all might have different differing views on 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 that order. But I'm just trying to get to the bottom of why do the critics dislike this movie? more than the other two. That's what I'm trying to figure out. And I, and I guess that's going to be a question we're going to have to answer throughout the season as we dive deeper into this film or these films. Um, but I, think, I, I really – go ahead.
2: Sorry to interrupt. I just – I think – I was just thinking about this now. Part one is is a standalone movie. You could watch it on its own and enjoy it very much. And I think part three you could watch on its own, not having seen the previous two and enjoy it as a movie has its whole – but if you just watch part two on its own, without I haven't seen the other two, you're kind of like, okay, what's going on here? I think that might have something to do with it. I mean, you can't really watch part two on its, on its own when I haven't seen the other two and, and enjoy it as much as you would if you just seen part one on its own or part three on its own.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, the ending of part two, for lack of a better term, kind of gives you blue balls, essentially, because, I mean, you, you see this ending and you're like, oh, but where's it going? Ugh. You know, and you just kind of freeze up on the ending. And any time I watch part two, I have to put part three in immediately to finish, to feel like I watched a full story being told. Um, so, yeah, I think you hit the the nail on the head right there, David, um, when, you, when you're talking about maybe why people have this kind of weird, not hatred for two, but this. Mild dislike, I think, is a good way to put it.
2: They don't know what to talk
0: about. Yeah, that, that's a that that's a great point, David. Um if if you look at them as three standalone films, it you know, that that's fair to say that it is easily the weakest of the three. Because it, it's propped up on both
2: sides by one and three.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. Um, I mean essentially, yeah.
2: I, I have to disagree. I wouldn't call it weak per se. I mean I kind of prefer. Well, it's it's kind of hard to rank them as such, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it weak per se, if that may, you know what I mean. I would prefer one somewhere over the other. I actually prefer two over three, but that's personal preference.
1: Well, yeah. Well, there you go. Right there. I mean, it's. I think. And here at the end of the day, I mean, it's all relative. You know, I mean, everything's all relative. I mean some people might like two more than like one and three, or some people might like three more than like one and two or, or two, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's just from personal opinion. Um, but when I, when we talk about what the general consensus of each of these films is, I think what Norm is saying, David is, is, is two is considered by the majority of people, um, as the weakest of the three or, or the least liked, I guess is, is an easier way of saying it. Um, but to me, there, there were days when I, when I was younger, to where I, I mean, I did like two more than all of them. Um, r- weirdly enough, the first time I saw Back to the Future Part Two was on the Disney Channel. And looking back at that, like, what a dark and dirty film to put on Disney Channel when you are a child. Um, but I mean, that's what it was on it. And then I, I still remember that to this day. Like, how weird is that that Disney Channel uh, aired this when, when for the first movie, Disney didn't even want anything to do with the first movie. Right. They took it to Disney. They didn't want anything to do with it. But now they're playing part two, which is like the dirtiest and filthiest of the three, you know, um, on, on, on the Disney channel for the youths like me to be influenced by. But anyway, guys, that is going to wrap up our fascinating discussion about our kickoff. A look at 2015 and beyond here for Back to the Future, the podcast season two premiere episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Norm, David, do you want to give off your uh, your social media contacts if anyone wants to reach you? Norm, let's start with you. You got anything you want to throw out there?
0: Um, No, I don't. Just uh, reach out to us on Twitter, and uh, we'll be in touch.
1: Definitely. David G. Mitchell, what do you got, man?
2: Uh, Instagram and Twitter, um, Mitch Van Halen, at Mitch Van Halen, M-I-T-C-H-V-A-N-H-A-L-E-N. Also, Marty McFly's favorite guitarist. It's a tribute to King Edward Van Halen. But, uh, yeah, I... Post some a lot of 80s stuff, Back to the Future stuff, um, stuff down here in Universal Orlando. Yeah, it's all good.
1: Yeah, you you, you posted some great uh, some pictures of some Back to the Future memorabilia at, at uh, in Orlando to, to the uh, Back to the Future Facebook closed group. That's right, guys. We have a closed group that you're not invited to because we're trying to plan this show for you to hear. All right, this is the behind the scenes of of Back to the Future the podcast which might be talked about on a podcast in the future, but not on this show. So for Norm, for David G. Mitchell, I'm Brad Gilmore. Find me on all social media at Brad Gilmore, and we will see you in the future. Brad Gilmore Show On Demand is meant for entertainment purposes only and does not mean to infringe on any copyrights of Back to the Future, its characters, its audio clips, or its music. Hope to see you again in the future.